Let's read our scripture for today from Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Let's pray. Spirit, come on us today. Open our ears and our hearts and our minds to your word. Prepare us. Strengthen us so that we can go and do your work this week, Lord. Pray for Andrew that the spirit of wisdom will be on him today and he can convey your word to us. In your name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, musicians leading us this morning. Susan's out of town. We've got uh, a bunch of youth. I heard as many as 70 people are out on this youth retreat at once. So if you see a, like a donut hole there at the junior high, high school age, that, that is why. We're glad that you made it this morning. God gathered us together to worship him. Uh, and it's no accident that you are here, no accident that you are here this morning, no accident that we are returning to Ephesians chapter 1. been talking about how this is just one big long sentence. Paul is just ecstatically piling up phrase after phrase after phrase to extol uh, the praise of God, to extol his, his character. Uh, Jerry mentioned at the beginning, it's got this Trinitarian theme to it. Remember a couple of years ago, we looked at the work of the Father. Uh, and then last week, Ryan helped us to understand the work of the Son. And then today, as we come to the end of this one long sentence in Greek, uh, we are going to be focusing in on the Holy Spirit and his role in redemption, his role in our receiving our inheritance and everything that Paul has been talking about here. And I want to start with Gary Benton. Nobody here, I'm guessing, knows Gary Benton. I don't know Gary Benton. Uh, but he wrote a very nice article about the time when he ran out of gas. Uh, he, and maybe some of you can relate to this, I've heard stories from some of you, uh, like to play the gas gauge game. And uh, he, he barely made it into, um, into the gas station. The problem was he wasn't playing the game just for fun. He actually didn't have any money with him. And so as he pulled in, he thought, okay, what do, I, what do I do here? You know, I, I, I can um, go in and maybe ask the gas station attendant for some free gas or maybe he'll loan me some money. 
He was careful in his mind to say, you know, I could borrow some money because he didn't want to be one of those bums, you know, that lived off the dole, uh, who, who didn't have control of his own circumstances. He was able to go in and borrow some money and he was able to get home. What Gary didn't know is that two weeks later, his paternal grandmother would pass away. And uh, as she passed away, it became clear to Gary and his family, his dad had been a little bit of a black sheep in the family, had only in the last couple of years been reunited into the family, but it became clear to Gary and his family that they were incredibly wealthy. Grandma, at the time of her death, and Grandpa had already passed away, uh, was worth over $32 million. Uh, and all in the family were given a portion of it. Gary says, my relatively small piece of that pie was to be dispersed over the majority of my adult life with larger amounts roughly correlated to life milestones and smaller installments to help cover day-to-day -day expenses. The money had been there the whole time. Actually, after some fortuitous corporate merger that happened before, that I, before I was even born, but I never knew it. In short, uh, because of this inheritance that came to him, I was more or less guaranteed uh, a middle-class existence for the rest of my life. These are great stories, isn't it? And probably you're thinking, why doesn't that ever happen to me? Uh, <laughs> we don't want grandma to pass away, but you know, why, why don't these stories ever happen to us? But the reality is, and I think where we're going this morning, you've probably picked up the theme here already, is that if you are in Christ, this is your story. Uh, there is a fortune that is already there before you were born, uh, and you may be more or less aware of it. You may be uh, living out of it to a greater or a lesser degree, but that doesn't change the fact uh, that this inheritance is yours. And I want to walk through that with you this morning and particularly looking at the Holy Spirit's role in helping us to uh, acquire and live in and uh, experience this inheritance as we go. But as we do, I, I want us to just think about who Paul is writing to. Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. And before we started this series, or on the first week we started this, we, we read a little bit from Acts 19 about Ephesus. Ephesus was this strongly pluralistic city. They were known for their temple to Artemis, uh, greatest Diana, another name for her, of the Ephesians. So there were people there who were worshiping other gods. Uh, they were very economically aware. Uh, the silversmiths, they, they were worried that if the, the worship of Diana was cut short, that they would lose their wealth. I mean, it, it had all sorts of things that pointed to success. And, and what Paul is doing here uh, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is he is putting out a story in this sentence uh, that is a, a father, son, Holy Spirit story 
that is meant both to, to stir the imaginations of those who are outside of this story, don't have a relationship with Jesus, to say that there's something greater here uh, that Diana can't offer. There's something greater here than you can get in any of the pluralistic stories uh, of the society that you are in. And he is uh, simultaneously seeking to, to minister to the Ephesian Christians, saying there is something here that will help you in the midst of this incredibly secular, uh, this incredibly pluralistic world. And the same thing is true for us. You know, as we study these things, it's not just to accumulate knowledge. Uh, God is, is wooing us deeper into his story. And he's saying, there's something that's really beautiful here. And, and if you know it, you know that it is beautiful. And you know that it far surpasses any story that our world can tell us. If you don't know it, the invitation is to say, uh, listen, because there is something that is worth listening to here. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But then there, finally, and, and I hope you know, as we go forward, for those of you that are walking with Jesus, I hope that you will find great encouragement from the very present ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So three ideas for you this morning. We have an inheritance that is spiritually guaranteed. Let's talk about the inheritance, first of all. Uh, as Jerry mentioned, inheritance uh, was something that was put out before the Israelites throughout, uh, throughout their history. When, when God talked about his, uh, his, the nation of Israel, he would often talk about um, them as his children who have been adopted for an inheritance. Uh, the inheritance was given picture in, in the promised land, the land of Canaan, like that was their inheritance. We see some of these same ideas that then are carried over into the New Testament. You remember when Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he talks about the meek shall inherit the earth. You know, there was a sort of a continuation of that plan but there's also an expansion of it because now it's not just a narrow strip of land in the Middle East, but now it is the entirety of the world as God is going about and is redeeming all things. We see that the inheritance itself uh, has expanded or our understanding of the inheritance. Here, Paul does not specifically speak to the land but as we've noted, he's been piling up these phrases to talk about who the Christian is, you know, who, who we are as we surrender our lives to Christ, as we belong to him. He's used phrases like, uh, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We have been adopted, which frequently connects us to this idea of becoming heirs. We've been given redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins. We have had the riches of his grace that have been lavished on us. So there, there is this idea of, of riches. And then he comes to it and he says, if I were to sum this up, we have an, an inheritance uh, and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance 
It is the gospel of your salvation. Here Paul comes to the point and he says, in Christ, you are the heir of every good thing that you can imagine. You are the heir not only of of this physical world, but you're you're the recipient of a relationship with none other than the living God himself. You you belong to him. You have been given a new identity. You've been given a new status. You've been declared righteous. Your sins have been dealt with, and you can now stand in the presence of this God uh, with confidence uh, that you belong to him. And this is the inheritance. You know, Paul is saying, forget Diana. Forget what she can offer you. Forget the, the momentary earthly, uh, earthly progress or earthly uh, accrual that you can get through worshiping Diana or selling her trinkets. What you have is an inheritance that far outweighs anything that the world can offer you because it is an inheritance that has been born in the very halls of heaven It's an inheritance that involves the God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And and so this is the the promise then that is held out to us. And this is the question that we ask ourselves, you know, with what I am pursuing in my life, does anything compare to the inheritance that God is offering? to you? Does anything compare uh, with the promise of, uh, of all of the heavenly blessings and getting earth thrown in in the bargain? Uh, this is the promise then that God brings to us. And I want you to note two other things here before we move on to the Spirit's role in this inheritance. In verses 12, 13, and 14, we we have an interesting progression. You know, Paul says, uh, actually beginning back in 11, he says, in him we have obtained this inheritance so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then in verse 13, he says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of, Uh, of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So you pay attention to the pronouns, right? We, you, our. Uh, One of the things that Paul has been saying throughout this is that this gospel, this promise of this inheritance, these riches of glory which God has, has promised to lavish upon his people, this is something that is for everybody. Uh, there is an inclusive, promiscuous offer of the gospel that is we. I think what Paul is referring to here is the Jewish people who, who first had the promises of God, we who were the first to hope in these blessings. Now, you also, the Gentiles, uh, those who are being grafted in, those who, who weren't part of God's originally deal, original dealings with the Jewish nation, 
Uh, but now we're no longer a we and a you, we're an our. You know, we all belong together. And this is one of the major themes of, <coughs> of Ephesians. We saw last week how God is bringing together all things under Christ, all peoples under Christ. We're going to see it again in Ephesians chapter 2, where God breaks down this, this dividing wall of hostility. And he says this inheritance is for all who would believe. It doesn't matter what your spiritual pedigree is. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. This is for everybody who would come and surrender their lives to Christ. And this is incredibly encouraging for us uh, because, A, not many of us here are ethnically Jewish. Uh, and, and so to know that we also are included into that but to also recognize that we have all sorts of different backgrounds, spiritual pedigrees, journeys. But, but what Paul is saying here is those things don't matter. Those things don't count. They, they won't be held against you. What matters in is, and uh, I want to note this as well with you, uh, that in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed. So we have another of these little tripartite things. Heard, believed, sealed. Uh, there, there is something that God is calling us to. It's to, it's to hear the word. And, and Paul, that's what Paul is eager to communicate to these people in his preaching, in his writing. He wants them to understand the tenets of the gospel of their salvation. He wants them to understand that they need to understand that they're lost, that they need to understand that repentance is part of the way in which we access the inheritance, the riches, uh, and that in our repentance, we not only forsake our old way of life, our old way of thinking, but we turn to, in faith, we turn to God as the one who provides redemption, the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Christ. Paul is saying, this is how the gospel comes to anybody who is a Christian. Uh, it comes through, you know, he'll say in Romans, the hearing of the word. It comes through the surrender, the believing of our hearts. Uh, and then we receive the benefits that God has promised. I just stop here for a moment because I, I think it's really important. In fact, uh, one of the brothers sent me a, an article that Christianity Today just uh, posted this week, actually. And what they're, they're highlighting in there is the number of heresies that are currently believed in Christianity. Uh, so, for instance, they say 73% of Christians believe that Jesus is the first and the greatest creation of the Father. Now, you recognize that, that that's not accurate. Actually, the church has had lots of debates over there. There's uh, been councils, you know, back in the 300s that have debated that very thing. It's one of the reasons why we use the creeds in our uh, in our worship, because we, we need to know the, the actual truths 
that, that we want, you know, that God is calling us to believe in. And we, we come to learn that Jesus is begotten, not made. He, he's equal with the Father. Uh, that the, the, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Spirit is, is equal with them. And, and we have this Trinitarian God. Like what we believe matters. Um, and of course, uh, we, we want to affirm that. And that's one of the reasons why we keep saying it's, it's important that you, you study your Bibles. It's important that you uh, grow in your understanding of the Christian faith because just belief is not enough. If you're not believing the right things, uh, if it's not like the tenets of the gospel of your salvation, you can have all the faith in the world but it's not going to save you. Um, I, I sometimes will use the illustration, done a little repelling in my life, a little repelling in my life. Uh, I don't mind it, actually. I'm not that afraid of heights. But it's always awesome when, you know, you're backing up to the cliff and the rope is tied to the rock in front of you or somehow secured and, you know, they're saying, okay, you're going mentally through your mind. You're like, do I trust this rope? Do I trust the person that tied it? Do I trust what it is attached to? It's, it's all of these things. And then they say, you know, step off the cliff backwards. <laughs> and you're like, cool. Uh, <laughs> so, but again, you, you get the point. If the rope is no good, or if the person who secured it is not my friend... Uh, or if what it is secured to cannot hold my weight, all the faith in the world isn't going to keep me up. You know, it depends what we are putting our faith in. And Paula said, you have heard the words of the gospel of your salvation, and you, that's what you believed, and therefore you have uh, an inheritance and Paul goes on then to talk about how this inheritance that we have is spiritually guaranteed. Now, there may be a problem here for some folks, similar to the ways that there was a problem for our friend uh, Gary Benton. He, he really had an existential crisis when he realized that he was now, through no effort of his own, a, a perpetual middle-class citizen um, because he realized uh, and this was sort of his crisis of identity, that, that so much of his identity was tied to his own achievements. It was his own ability to manage life. It was his own ability to climb the ladder. It was his own ability to provide for his wife, his family, all of these things. He says, it turns out my identity was deeply rooted in the narrative of American middle-class achievement. To succeed in life, I needed to accomplish the following. I needed to provide for my family, uh, help pay for my kids' college, save for retirement, and eventual nursing care. Generally, I needed to be in control of everything uh, from the cradle to the grave. But I had, in this one fell swoop of becoming rich by no doing of my own, became the bum that I so feared being, one who subsisted on value that I did not produce. Receiving that generous inheritance shattered my carefully 
protected self-image. Do you understand what his crisis is? Now, maybe some of you are saying, I I would never have that kind of crisis. Uh, I'd like to at least try to see if I would have that kind of crisis. Uh, but, But what he was realizing is, I think, something that that most Christians struggle with. Once we realize that we have been given everything in Christ, we have to really wrestle with our identity because most of the time our identity is predicated on what we have done. You know, being better than those people over there, having it more together than those people, having a richer orthodoxy than this guy or that gal. And so we have to reckon with the fact that once we have heard and believed the gospel, we now are recipients of this inheritance that we have done nothing to earn and we don't deserve it. You know, it was something that happened like for Gary, you know, because of some fortuitous merger before he was even born. He didn't even know about it. And yet all of the riches has come, have come to him. And it's the same thing with us. You know, all of these riches that God planned out in the councils uh, of heaven before time even began, which is something we can't even get our minds about around, they come to us and they are applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Now, Think about the Holy Spirit, and you know some people. Uh, he has been called the, the shy member of the Trinity. Uh, maybe that's by Presbyterians, probably not by Pentecostals. Uh, there are, uh, you know, a whole lot of ways though that the that we think about the Holy Spirit. Some of you know the the revival uh, of the Holy Spirit movement that has happened in charismatic and Pentecostal churches. There, there's a very visible emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes, if, depending on the tradition that you've grown up in, uh, it sounds very strange to us and we don't really um, totally understand that. Other times, there, there's almost a complete ignoring of the Holy Spirit's work. You know, there is a, a very... Uh, a very definite focus on the work of Jesus on the cross. And uh, so, you know, I would suggest that we can probably fall off that log on on either side. Um, But there is a rich theology of the Holy Spirit that runs throughout the scriptures. It's, It's not just a New Testament emphasis. You know, as we read in Ezekiel chapter 37 and and so many other places, you know, God talks about placing his spirit within us and and how that is the key uh, to uh, receiving this inheritance that that he has promised. Uh, Sometimes the Holy Spirit is referred to as the counselor or the advocate, which makes sense here. Because when we're talking about inheritance, we're, we're talking about something that comes out of our adoption. Uh, so, for instance, when Paul talks about our adoption in Romans 8 or in Galatians 4, he is connecting it to the idea of the fact that we are heirs, uh, heirs uh, of Christ, uh, co-heirs with him. 
And so the spirit comes as the advocate, as the lawyer, if you will. Here is a good view of lawyers for those of you who don't have that. Uh, I know most of you do, but some of you may not. Uh, but the spirit comes as our holy lawyer. And he, uh, he gives us the, the he, he reads the will. And he says, look, here you are. You are written into the will. He seals that truth to us. And the seal there is not the seal like a Ziploc bag uh, that seals in the freshness. The, the seal here is, is like a ring that is pressed into wax. Uh, it is the authenticating marker of this promise. And so the Holy Spirit, like the good advocate that he is, comes to our beaten down, bedraggled consciences because we are constantly dealing with that old snake, the accuser of the brethren, who is coming to us and he's saying, you don't deserve this, you don't belong here, this isn't for you, this may be for somebody else, but it's not for you. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, yes, you belong. You are written into the will. You are an heir of all of the promises. The inheritance belongs to you. Now, I want you to note two things about this ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you remember back in the very beginning of the sentence, and we read, I know, only 11 to, 13, or 11 to 14, but we have the whole sentence printed for you there. Notice verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Uh, in him, verse 13, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Paul, Paul is putting this, uh, these uh, inheritance terms in the past tense. Uh, from the beginning of the sentence here toward the end, he's saying, this is something that has already happened to you. This is something which you belong in. And, and this is an important thing for us to recognize because there have been some theologies of the Holy Spirit that have been posited that say, you, you need... Uh, to acquire the Holy Spirit. You, you need a, a second blessing. Some of you may have heard that kind of language. But that's actually not the testimony of what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You know, when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that was part and parcel uh, of your being adopted into the family of God, you also got the family lawyer. Uh, and and that, that advocate, that counselor is, is with you now. Now, that's important for us to recognize, but I, I also want to point out something else to you. Uh, and that is that there is, I believe, an experiential aspect to this ceiling. Uh, so, for instance, when we turn over to Romans uh, chapter 8, which is another place, I would say here in Ephesians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 4, which I have uh, referenced a little bit earlier, and then Romans chapter 8, we, we have 
sort of the, the locus classicus of the work of the Holy Spirit with regards to these things. So um, Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8, uh, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. Uh, and again, the key to sons, the reason why it doesn't say sons and daughters is because sons were the heirs. And, and so all of us, male or female, are adopted as sons because we are heirs. You're, you receive the adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, co-heirs with Christ. But do you hear the work of the Spirit there who, again, very lawyerly terms, he testifies. He bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. And our spirit then, our spirit responds to that crying, Abba, Father. Uh, and it's the same thing that Paul says in Galatians 4. Our spirit cries, uh, Abba, Father. And, and this is the experiential response that we have to the testimony of the Holy Spirit that we are heirs belonging to Christ. I emphasize that because it is something that we should look for in our lives. Uh, so, yes, if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You do not have to acquire the Holy Spirit. You do not have to wait for the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. And yet, there is an experiential uh, aspect to knowing that we have the Holy Spirit uh, and, and, to, and to living in that and to, uh, and to living it out. And I want to put that forward to you as something to really, uh, to really long for. Some of you are saying, yes, you know, I have, I have heard that voice and the spirit has testified with my spirit and I, I, have, I know what it means to respond. Some of you are saying, like, I think so. Like, is it okay for me to pray for this? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, and, and God will, will honor that, and he will, he will grant you that voice. Some of you are saying, you know, I, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Uh, and and that, that is something that I would just encourage you to explore, especially if you are under the assumption that you are a believer. Uh, there, there should be some evidence that we have now of the Spirit testifying to our spirit and our spirit responding, crying, Abba, Father, in response to the work of the Holy Spirit. I, I don't say that uh, to make anybody discouraged. I, I don't say that uh, in order to uh, disparage anybody's testimony. But it, it is, it's an invitation that we lean into and we long for. It's an invitation that, that we have to continue to go deeper in our relationship. God isn't just a set of uh, propositional truths. You know, I, a minute ago, I emphasized the importance of the propositional truths, but that's not the sum and substance of who God is. God relates to us personally by means of the Spirit. Last thing, 
the spirit is uh, not only the attorney that is bearing witness to the reality of the fact that we are inheritors, but he is also, says there, the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, the guarantee is, is not necessarily here just the promise that it is going to happen. There is that aspect to it. But the guarantee is the, the portion. It's, it's the down payment. So our friend Gary Benton, he received his inheritance uh, sort of piecemealed out. And it was correlated with various aspects of his life. This is kind of the picture of the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance, that we experience the, the, the reality of our inheritance now through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it's not altogether an entirely future thing that we are waiting on. So if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, and that means, as Ryan was saying last week, and I think we alluded to a couple of weeks ago, like we have access to the riches. They're, they're not just something that are, are, we're going to receive when we die, but we have a portion of it now. We have a portion of it that we can live off of, that we can survive in this day and age that enable us to, uh, to live with confidence, to live without fear, to really love one another. You know, and and what, the, what the invitation here is, is live, be who you are. You, you don't have to live like a pauper. Uh, just because you haven't received the entirety of the inheritance that you will receive. Who we will be has not yet appeared to us. Uh, we, we will be like him. Yes, that is all coming. But that doesn't mean we live like poor people now. Because the spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. And so we, we have the ability as believers to hope. You see that? That, uh, that phrase there, we were the first to hope in his glory. We were the first to, uh, to live a, a true life of love, to perfect love, 1 John 4, that casts out fear, to live without fear. This is all part of who we are now because the spirit is the guarantee. And of course, this does have to do with our future as well. Uh, because the spirit as the guarantee, the erebon, the, the, the first fruits, does promise us, uh, does assure us that all that we have been promised, the full scope of the inheritance, all 32 million or whatever it, will, it is, will come to us one day. Uh, and we can go forward living that way, even in the midst of the most tragic circumstance. Um, one writer that I have uh, I've quoted him before and I frequently read his stuff, his name is Chad Bird. Uh, he's a Lutheran, uh, writes at 15, 17. Um, but uh, he and his wife lost their 23-year-old son. Uh, he was a graduate of the Naval Academy. Uh, he was uh, just a, a, a well-thought-of young man by every stretch of the imagination. He was down in Chile. Uh, he was visiting a, a waterfall there and somehow got too close to the edge 
and fell over and, and tragically, tragically uh, was killed. Um, he wrote a couple of pieces uh, about that, and the, the second one was entitled The Day We Buried Our Son. Uh, and I think he captures in there just such, uh, so poignantly, what it means to have the Spirit as the guarantee of the hope that we have. He says, our Christian cemeteries are sacred fields in which we sow the bodies of our loved ones. The church is a farmer. We do not sow wheat or barley or corn, but we plant bodies in the earth. And like all farmers, we wait for the harvest. When it will come, we do not know, but come it shall. This year, next year, a thousand years hence, who knows? The Lord of the harvest, he knows. On that day, like champagne corks, gravestones will pop from the earth. The soil will split. Coffins will burst open. Luke's grave will have reached its expiration date, as will all of our graves, wherever they may be. The trumpet will sound. Jesus will descend. And with an upraised arms of victory, full-throated shouts of hallelujah, and bodies radiant with the immortal life of the resurrected Jesus, we shall stand, an innumerable company of the redeemed. But until that day, we wait in faith and hope and love. And as we do, limping down this dark and forlorn pathway of grief, we cling to the truth that is uttered by the mouth of the Lord in whom we believe and in whom Luke now rests in peace. I am the resurrection. I am the life. This is your inheritance. It is life with him. Uh, no matter what your days may look like now, you have but a portion of what we will receive. And so Paul comes to us and says, have hope. The spirit is the guarantee of your inheritance. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its promise in our life. We, we thank you for, um, to, for testifying to us about these realities. We pray now that no matter where we are, whether we've uh, surrendered our life to Jesus um, or not, uh, or whether we have been living with him a long time that you would meet us and that you would um, that you would carry us along the way continuing to testify to us about these realities father we we do uh, stand as it were on the banks and